everyone. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. Let me tell you, you are going to love today's episode where I talk to the fabulous, human, real Kristen Hadid. Kristen Hadid is the founder of Student Made, a successful cleaning company that has employed thousands of students over the last decade and is known for building the next generation of leaders. Yes, you heard me, a cleaning company that focuses on building the next generation of leaders. And in 2017, Kristen wrote a phenomenal book called Permission to Screw Up, where she unapologetically offers accounts of her biggest mistakes in leadership. And she has been on this journey since to openly share her stories of screwing up, to normalize it, and to help us reframe our narrative with failure. And she has such incredible wisdom and insights and is always so fully present and just The gift of what she is bringing to the world is so amazing, and I always walk away from every interaction with her or reading her blog or any course she does feeling encouraged, coming up with nuggets that I can use to be a better version of myself, and so, so hopeful for a better future and a more human future. And so I hope you enjoy this episode, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being here. I know it's taken a bit to get this scheduled. I'm super, super excited that we're reconnecting and we're having this conversation. I am too. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, obviously we met after your book came out, Permission to Screw Up, which I just love. And I have to tell you that, right, I think it was because you did like a Facebook live with Simon and I'm like, oh, Simon said, I'm like, who's this Kristen Hadid person, right? And I remember I was reading it and I was just like, yeah. 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 And I'm like, I love it. She's so real. She's so human. We need more people like this. And what I love, and I want to kick this off is this is like, it's going to be weird reading back to you. Right. But I actually, what I highlighted in your book, which is at the very, very end, you, you said, you know, your speech, my speeches were about the lessons I learned, not how I learned them. My blog posts were full of advice for young entrepreneurs, but said nothing about what it took for me to figure that stuff out. Everything out of my mouth was about what my company had done well. I was just telling the kind of story people expect to hear from an entrepreneur who's experienced some success. The neat, clean, uncomplicated, polished part. The side I thought everyone wanted to hear. The only side I wanted to talk about. Right. And, and I love that because. My favorite paragraph. <laughs> it is. Well, and you know what? Your book is the antithesis. And I would say since then, and what I so appreciate about what you do is it's you're normalizing it for us to be freaking human because we're going to fall down. We're going to screw up. And I just love that. And so I think, could you just share a little bit about what brought you to the spot of saying, you know what, I'm just going to put it out there and I'm going to be real. And I'm going to advocate for humanity by modeling it. Like kind of what, what got you to this spot and what have you been doing to really try to help others normalize this too? Well, you know, what's interesting is I had always been, I would say, real, authentic, transparent, not afraid to talk about the things I had screwed up internally. So when it came to our team, our organization, you know, that was never an issue for me. And we can talk more about kind of how, how, why that was when it came to the outside world, when it came to what I talked about outside of, of the company, it was really hard to be honest and real. And I think 
part of it is I would go to networking events where I would meet other entrepreneurs and, and leaders and I would ask, how are things going for you? And the answer was always, it's going great, you know? And, and then I would think, what's wrong with me? Because it's not going great for me. I'm screwing a lot up and this is really hard. And then I would read books and trust me, I, I have found so many of my mentors in books. I have read incredible books. And also I didn't really find books that told me it was okay to screw up in the middle. A lot of it is, okay, here are the screw ups I made at the beginning of my journey. And then I figured it out and I was still screwing up. So I couldn't figure out, you know, is this normal? Am am I cut out to be an entrepreneur? And when I was writing the book, I wrote about success. I wrote about all the things that student made had done well, all the, you know, as you said, the, the lessons we learned, but not so much how we learned them. And it just felt empty. And I went to dinner, let's see, it was with Simon, Simon Sinek. And we were talking about the book. And I remember asking him, how do you know if you're writing the right book? And I will never forget, he said, the right book is the one that is the hardest to write. So then I started to think about what would make this hard. And at the time, I was going through some really big challenges in the organization. We were in the process of selling a location of ours that wasn't working due to my poor decisions as a leader. And I was also in the process of saying goodbye to someone on the team who had been with us for over eight years, who was my right-hand person who decided to leave the company. It was such a, a, you know, it felt like grieving. And these things were happening in that time. And I thought, what if I wrote about this? And it felt really raw because it was happening in the moment and I, I decided, you know, I'm going to write about all the things that aren't working <laughs> and, and I'm going to write the book that I wish that I would have found on the shelf that would have made me feel like it's okay and it's normal. And once the book came out, we started hearing from people, here's what I've screwed up. And, you know, here, and so what I realized is when we can openly share our screw ups, not only do we give ourselves permission to be human, but we actually give permission to others too. Yeah. I love that. And that's so, so true. And it's funny as you say that, because I have to say that when we were writing our second book, Rehumanizing the Workplace, you were an inspiration in that when we were writing it, I realized like our first book was great and I'm super, super proud of it, but it was very much like tell the stories of our clients. And it was very, there, there was no of us in it. It was very much kind of a how-to book. And this book, God Love Conscious Capitalism Press as publishers, they they poked the bear, so to speak. And they were like, that's great. But what about you? And I want to hear more about you. And I was like, oh, and I, and I was thinking about you yeah. and when, oh, and I'm writing this stuff. I'm like, do I really want to share this with people? And I was like, all right. And, you know, and I didn't even have the filtered language and stuff. And, and it, it was scary. Cause you're like, I'm putting this out there and you don't know what people are going to think, but the response has been, oh my God, I could totally see that moment. And oh my God, I was like pissed off with you. or I was crying with you and people yeah. see themselves we see ourselves in other people's stories. And so, and I think we forget that. And I would even say myself, as much as I know that I was like, oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It takes courage. It takes courage. And especially when you think about writing a book, once you put that out there, you can't take the words back, you know? Yeah. I think going back to just my background and growing up, you know, my parents really, um, they model vulnerability. And I remember at dinner, we would talk about what didn't go well today. 
And what did we learn from it? And they would, they would set the example. They would share in their day what they screwed up, what they got wrong, what they learned from it. They would ask my sister and I. So I learned from a very early age that failure equals growth. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to learn from it. You can learn from it. That's the point. And so I think when it came to leading the, the company, you know, this was my first job. I didn't have any real experience before this. So I just did what I had always been taught to do. Anytime I screwed up, I just owned it. I talked to the team about it. Then when the company started to grow and I started to go and meet other people, it's like the pressure of the outside world. And the, I think this idea that strong leadership, and I'm putting air quotes around strong, is you always have the answers and you're always confident. And it was that pressure that almost made me into someone else outside of the organization, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes, it makes complete sense. And I think, you know, we start, yeah, we start to pay attention to others and we forget whose voice matters and kudos to your parents, first of all, because that's not, that's not the norm. I mean, I definitely grew up, like, if you're not perfect, you're going to get yelled at and whatnot. Right. And so for me, having to write that stuff was like, even though I had done a ton of inner work, it was like, Oh God, like, okay, this is real, you know? So, and I think that you know, so many of us, if we can model that for our kids, man, it would be, it would be so different. And I love that you're, I love that you're modeling that for your team. So can you speak a little bit? Cause yes, your student made is a cleaning service, but you're really teaching leadership skills, critical leadership skills and setting the tone for how these students, when, once they graduate are going to show up in the world. Can you talk a little about how it's morphed into that and what you're doing and what you're seeing as a result? Yeah. So it all happened quite by accident, you know, as as the company grew, I was having to learn a lot myself because this was my first real job and everything that I was learning, I was learning it for the first time. I mean, it started when I was 19, you know, so I didn't really have any leadership or business experience at all. And I remember thinking if I'm learning this, the team should learn this because at one point in their life, they'll be faced with this. And, and I would love to equip them with the skills to be able to navigate it better. And it was just simple things like going to a networking event and having to introduce yourself. And the first time that I did that, it was really scary. So I told the team, hey, this is what I just did. If you want to learn about it and learn about how it went, come to the office and I'll get pizza. And everyone would show up. And then I would read a book about leadership. And I would say, I read this awesome book. If you want to learn about it, I'll tell you about it. Come and I'll get pizza. Everyone would show up. And at first I thought it was just the pizza. And then I tried <laughs> I was to say they want pizza. They're hungry college kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I did stuff where I didn't have pizza. They still showed up. No, but I, I saw that there was this real hunger for learning. And today it's a much more formal uh, process, we really, we say that we build leaders, that that's the whole point. And we just so happen to clean toilets. And we have curriculum that we teach that's around giving and receiving feedback and how to build real connection and and relationships and what is vulnerability and what is empathy and how do you find your strengths and how can you articulate them in an interview and just things that have nothing to do with cleaning, but really have everything to do with success in in our lives, you know, And, and then we launch our people into the world to go make their mark on the world. So the business is actually designed to require people to move on. And one of the biggest things that I see and that we focus on is reframing the relationship and the narrative with failure. I will never forget, we did a workshop around what is your relationship with failure? And there was a student of ours, she was maybe 17, who said that whenever she didn't get an A on something, her parents would make her write 300 times on a piece of paper, I will not get another B or I will not get another C. Oh, God. Yeah. And you know, and so you think of, of 
if your experience is that, you basically the message that you've been sent your, your whole life is perfection equals love. And now here you are in your first job and you're being asked to problem solve on the job. You're being, you're empowered to make decisions yet you've been trained your whole life to, to, you know, perfect is the goal. And so you're almost afraid to make a decision or to try something because the last thing you want to do is fail because you, you, you know, your narrative with failure is that it's really bad. So we, try extremely hard to help people understand the relationship with it. Where does it come from? And then the way that we reframe it is we really try to help people see that failure is growth. We actually have this exercise we do called, we call it a resilience resume. And what you do is you think back in your life and you identify all the hard things that you've been through, all the things you've screwed up, and you identify what you learned from them. And so then you end with this resume of all these mistakes, but also the gifts that that they gave you. And it helps you begin to see failure as something that could actually be positive if we learn from it. Wouldn't that be incredible if, you know, we teach resume writing in college or high school that we actually taught a resilience resume. I remember when that came out in your blog, I was like, that is so fantastic because I think we, we know, especially when we're facing all the crap that 2020 is throwing us right now, we think, oh, I'm not going to get through it. And it's like, well, okay, you've probably gotten through worse, or you've probably been face down in the dirt way worse than this. And, but we forget it when we're in that moment. Yeah. And, and I just keep a running dock of things that I've been through. And when I have a really hard moment, and believe me, there's been a lot this year, I just look back at it. And what I realize is, yeah, I don't have a pandemic on my resume, you know, thanks to 2020, I we all now will. Uh, but I can look at my resume and see times when I felt overwhelmed and uncertain and afraid and unsure. And it was a different experience, but I've had these feelings before. And not only did I survive, you know, I, I learned something from it. So it's just that reminder that one day what we're going through right now will be on our resilience resume. I love that. Well, and we'll put it in the show notes, but I love that all of those courses, not all of them, but many of them you have put out as a pay what you can for people, which is so fantastic. So tell me what was the decision behind, I know that's a Simon model to pay what you can, but what was the decision of, to take the stuff internal and really make it broader? Well, when this really was one of the things that, that came out of the pandemic for us, we decided early on as a team that, you know, we've never experienced a pandemic before as a team. We're going to do the best that we can. And we are going to show people what we're doing and how we're doing it in case we can hope, you know, if there's any way that we can help um, in that, that's, we just really wanted to serve. So we started to think about what are all the things that have equipped us to be able to navigate a time like this. And we just made a list of like things like the resilience resume, these things we do internally that have really contributed to us being a more resilient team, a more trusting team so that when you're faced with adversity, you have a better time navigating that. And we just decided to make all of it public and, and all of it is pay what you can. And if you can only pay zero, that's okay. We want everyone to have it. And we've also started doing something where we go live every Wednesday if you want to join, it's every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, and the team actually is on with me, and we talk about challenges over the last week, things that we've learned, and we open it up for other people to share. So we just really, we, we've enjoyed this, like, let's, we're in, we're all experiencing this maybe in a different way, but we are also in this pandemic together, and 
let's learn from each other. And that's been, I think, one of the greatest gifts that's come out of this for us. I love that so much. And we will for sure put the the links in the show notes. So let me ask you this, because you've been very open about writing this. And I even your latest blog that came out this week, I'm like, yep, I, I resonate with that, right? Of like overscheduling yourself and and re, which is why we rescheduled this podcast, right? But I appreciate that. It's the, oh my gosh, I've taken on more than I can chew. I'm, you know, getting very task focused. I'm getting burnt out, whatever it is, and, and hitting, hitting that reset. When you think about kind of 2020 and all that you've been through from a business standpoint, but also personally, what are some of the biggest things you've been learning about yourself this year? Oh, you know, crisis has a way of just shaking you and reminding you of what matters and what is important and what doesn't matter. And I, I have had several of those moments where I just realized that the things that I thought were important aren't actually and becoming more connected to the things that actually really matter. And I think first for me was when, when everything stopped, I used to travel a lot. I mean, I was doing anywhere from 80 to hundred in-person type events a year. And now here, here we are and everything has moved to virtual. And it's like, wait a minute, I don't have to pack a suitcase. I don't have to go somewhere. And then I started to think, how was my life sustainable before? How was I doing that? I mean, I was, there were times where I was away from home for three weeks and that's not okay. You know, and I don't think that I would have stopped had this not happened. And I kind of needed that. And then I, what happened is I went into extreme, we have to survive and thrive in this pandemic mode. And I thought that strong leadership was working 70 to 80 hours a week, spending every waking moment on the business and the team and supporting and helping in any way I could. And that led me to a, to a point of complete overextension. And the blog that you're referencing is my fiance, whom I love and have been with for seven years, stopped me one day and he said, I'm just having trouble understanding something. Are you unhappy with me or are you just unhappy? And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I'm so happy with you. But, but I was unhappy because I was at this point where I was just so burned out and so overextended. And it was now not only affecting me, it was affecting him. And the team even was, gave me feedback. You know, you, you seem on edge, you seem a little intense, you seem almost resentful of the business. So if we don't set boundaries, if we don't learn to say no, if we don't, um, you know, manage our energy, it can have a catastrophic effect on not just us, but the people we love and the people that are in our care. So I've really been that, that I think has been the biggest thing that's come out of this for me, just setting boundaries and, you know, you don't, you don't get a redo. So um, making sure that the time I have with people that I'm all in, I'm intentional, and I'm present and I'm showing up as my best, which takes managing my energy in order to do that. Yeah. I love that so much. And I think I find myself having so many conversations this year with leaders I coach and teams I work with. And the boundary thing keeps coming up over and over. And and those that have been working from home, because many are still frontline workers, but are finding themselves not taking breaks, actually working more hours because they can, because now they don't have a commute time and, and they're, they're running themselves ragged and realizing like, you know what, you can, you can have a meeting that's 45 minutes instead of an hour and give yourself a breather in between, you know, you don't have to schedule over your lunch. You know, you can 
take a break. You can do this. And people aren't taking vacations because, well, I can't go anywhere. And so I just think that ability to recognize what we need to recharge and, and reset, and it's going to look different for everybody is so, so important. So important. It's so important. And I have to share this story. This is actually a sad story. It's an important story though. I, maybe it was in April. I had a meeting with a client, a dear client, and it was a video you know, screen on zoom meeting. And it was just one of those weeks for me where I was just at my limit. I was just, I couldn't wait for the day to be over and to shut my computer off. And I'm sure everyone can relate to a moment like this. It was five o'clock on a Friday. So this was like my last meeting of the week. And as we were meeting an email came in and I was just like, I'm going to answer this email while we're meeting because I just want when this meeting is over to be done. So I I did the whole mute myself, look like I'm paying attention, but off to the side, I'm writing an email. I can't tell you what we talked about in that meeting. What I remember is when I hung up, I felt bad because I just knew that I didn't show up as the person I really wanted to, to show up as. I thought about calling him and apologizing and I didn't. And the very next day he passed away from a major heart attack and, you know, 42 years old. And, and I was the last person he met with in his life. I was his last meeting and I did not pay attention to him Mm. at all, you know? And, and it was, it, that moment really shook me because I started to think, how often do I do this to people where I'm half there? And ever since then, what I've done every day is I look at my schedule, I look at who I'm meeting with, and I set my intentions. And I actually write this little note card, I put it by my computer. And I I can just look, um, you know, today, my intentions for today are be all in, reach hearts, reach hearts through the screen, inspire action, anchor in love and compassion. And I have this by my computer, and I've looked at it all day. And it's just a reminder that this is the person I want to be. And there's nothing more important than showing up in this way, because at the end of our lives, we're not thinking, oh, I wish I would have answered more emails. You know, it's like, how did I show up as a person? How did I make people feel? And these are the things that matter more than anything. So I just, yeah, I think it's like, how do we, in terms of work, it's like, you think about overscheduling ourselves and let's say you have a meeting that ends at two o'clock and you have another meeting that starts at two o'clock. How is that possible? How can you leave a two o'clock, start at two o'clock and show up intentionally and be present? You know, so it's what you said, ending the meeting 15 minutes early to give yourself that buffer time. I love that. Isn't it a, I'm probably going to botch the quote, but isn't it a Maya Angelou quote that something like, you know, people will forget what you did but the, or what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yep. And I love that. Be, I mean, because I regularly will say to teams and groups we work with that, giving someone, even in a virtual environment, the gift of your full presence is a true blessing because we don't do it enough. And I think about times when my son, you talk about people closest to us, like your team or, you know, your fiance. I mean, I remember, you know, when my son was three and he'd be doing things like put away your phone. And I'm like, Oh, you know, you just think about how like I could be spending, you know? And so it's funny because we got these new little puppies and I'm even, even not that they know, but I'm like, no, I'm not going to sit here on my phone while the puppies are in my lap. Like puppies. They're not going to be puppies forever, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be like, even even my fur babies are going to get my full. Yeah, they have feelings too. Yeah, right? I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love that so much. Well, so you're really open about this, and so this is a question that I like to ask all of all of my guests. 
what's a self-limiting story that you regularly tell yourself? And then when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader? Well, I have so many. (laughs) I do a lot of work in this area. Um, So let me think about the one I'd like to share. Well, one that I've, that I feel I've had to really work through this year more than ever is this idea that I'm responsible for people's emotions. Mm. And it comes from when I was a kid, my mom was depressed and I didn't understand mental health and depression. And, you know, what I remember is that she was often um, sad and as a kid, I wanted to make her happy. And so I would try to do anything I could to turn her day around. And by the way, she knows that I talk about this. So, um, and, and sometimes it worked. And so the message it sent me is I could change her emotions. Mm. And I put that on me that it was my job. Like if, if she was having a sad day, it was my job to turn the day around and put a smile on her face when in reality, she was the one turning her day around. You know, it's just that as a kid, that's, I didn't have that awareness. So as I grew up, I felt this extreme responsibility that anytime there was someone who was upset, it was my job to make them happy, afraid, my job to make them feel safe. You know, I always took that role in a relationship. And then when it came to leading a team, I mean, I would derail meetings because there would be someone in the meeting that wasn't happy with the result. And it's like, I'm determined to turn their emotion around so that we can end this meeting with everyone happy. And it's not my responsibility. It's my responsibility to create a safe and loving and caring environment. Empathy is about allowing people to feel the way they feel and not trying to change it, just validating how, how people feel. And I think in this year, you know, there was nothing I could say or do to change emotions. People are afraid that they're going to get sick, that their loved ones are going to get sick. Well, what can I say? Because I have the same fear, you know? And, um, and so it was a really powerful lesson. So I think it's just when I feel that belief coming on, I just have to remind myself internally, I'm not responsible for people's emotions and empathy is listening, supporting, validating, making people feel heard and seen. It's not about trying to change the way they feel. Isn't, you know, I think so many people do that. We take on a burden or responsibility. And what I so appreciate about what you share, Kristen, which gets into some of the work that that we do with Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy's immunity to change. But I, I think we forget that we all form this narrative mm-hmm. in childhood. And it could be something as simple, like there was nothing traumatic that happened to you, right? I have a I have a parent who has depression and I kind of saw that, oh, if I try to make him happy once in a while it worked and we create this self-imposed burden. Like we do that all the time as kids. And certainly when my case it was, oh, if I got yelled at when I messed up, I mean, a lot of parents do that. It's my, you know, it's fine. Right. But I created a narrative of, oh my gosh, if I'm not perfect, I get yelled at and AKA I'm not lovable. Like we create these synapses and these leaps and we do it on a, a brain that we have to be honest in childhood. First of all, it's not a fully developed, like, right. We don't have the logical reasoning or emotion, but we create these filters and then it just gets reaffirmed. And what we don't realize is we carry that crap into adulthood. And so a lot of the work that I do is trying to help people identify that narrative and rewrite it because it shows up freaking everywhere. It really does. And someone, do you know, Byron Katie? I don't. Mm -mm. 
I love her work. She does a lot of work in this space and she has this, this practice. It's called the method, I believe. And it's a series of questions that you can ask yourself when you feel a, a, a limiting belief popping up. And one of them is, is that true? I mean, it's just a very simple question, but is that true? And is it really true? And then this is my favorite question. What else could be true? Mm. And I think it's powerful because when you're a child, you cling on to this one narrative, this one perspective, this one belief. And then you begin to think, well, wait a minute, there could have been a lot of other truths. And I just happen to hang on to this one. And so I think that can help us in releasing it. Yeah. I also like to ask if I'm so sure that I'm holding on to the truth of some narrative, I also like to say, how might I be wrong about this? Love it. You know? Yeah. Great. So I'm sure there's tons of these, but this is kind of a twofold question. What's one impactful way that you are showing up as a leader at work and then also in your professional life? Because we really talk about we have an opportunity to show up as a leader, period, in our lives. And so what's one way that you're showing up as a leader at work and then one way in your personal life or maybe they're one and the same? Well, um, as a leader, I am trying to, and as a leader in with a team and at work, I am really leaning into authenticity more than I ever have. And I'm not saying that I've like been dishonest in the past. I just, I want to be more, it's okay to feel unproductive. It's okay to say I had a to-do list today and I can't even tell you what I did today because I sat in front of the computer and not one thing was crossed off my list. I think a lot of us are experiencing pandemic fatigue. I think, you know, a lot of us have just days that are off days and maybe we feel pressure to turn that around or to not acknowledge it. And so I've just tried to really create this space for when I'm having that day, leaning into it and telling the team, even if we don't have a meeting schedule, just like sending a message to the team. Hey team, just want to let you know I'm having this kind of day. And so if you're having this kind of day too, I I feel you. And just, I think what it does is it, it gives people permission to feel the way they feel and, and that it's okay to feel that way. And not every day has to be the most productive day. Cause it's just, you know, we're human and this is really hard and we're allowed to have off days in my personal life. I'm trying to think of ways to make people smile more than I ever have and to bring, I'm a bonus mom. So to bring our eight-year-old into this, because this is a hard year for her, you know, and we, I can think of a recent example. We had some neighbors over and both are really busy moms navigating virtual school and they were just having a really hard day. And Evie is my bonus daughter. We decided to do something we called Operation Smile. And it was like, how do we make, how do we surprise these two amazing neighbors of ours and put a smile on their face? And so we put together this care package and left it on their doorstep and it was just something small, but it really, um, it was, it brought a lot of joy. And I think for Evie, it was really cool to involve her in something like that. She, you know, she's eight years old. So showing her that even when times are really hard, you can still make a positive impact. I love that. You're teaching leadership to an eight-year-old, which yeah. is so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So 
I saw that you have a new course coming out because obviously a lot of what the work I do and even this podcast is really trying to help people be aware of the stories we tell ourselves that keep us safe and small. And so when I saw the new course you have coming out, I was like, oh, yay, I'm going to have Kristen talk about it. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So like, tell me what what it is and kind of what uh, what brought you to create it and kind of what you're hoping to do with it. Yeah. So I've been having a lot of fun. We are doing live classes in Simon Sinek's classroom. And I've, I've done a variety of topics, like how to build connection and trust and relationships from behind a screen and um, a class about feedback. And so I was just trying to think of what is something that would be a topic that would help us now and also always. And this idea of identifying the narratives we have that are limiting. And I think when it comes to a limiting belief, part of the belief is good because it got us to where we are. You know, for example, if your belief is I have to work hard, you know, probably for a part of your life, that was a really good belief to have because it got you to wherever you are in your career. But then at some point that narrative can become limiting. And so the question is just when do, do these beliefs and narratives that we have, when do they become limiting and how do we learn to reframe them so that they're not, in the way of us reaching our potential. So the class is designed to help people identify the narratives they have, the one that is the most limiting, and then how to reframe it so that it's actually a belief that fuels us forward. So that starts, um, I think I'll be teaching like one or two of those classes a month and the first one kicks off in November. That's, that's so cool. That's so cool. And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes too, but I was like, oh, yay. (laughs) And people come together from all over the world. And, you know, I have a, I have a great friend, her name's Jen Waldman, who asked this really powerful question. How do you make virtual so good that it would be disappointing in person? I just love that. How do you make virtual so good that it would be disappointing in person? And so one of the things I've loved about these classes is you really get to meet people from all over the world it's like, how often would, you know, we're not going to all fly somewhere for a 90 minute class. So I just think there are a lot of opportunities in the virtual space to connect with people who we never would have connected with before this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I know that people can get Zoom fatigue, but I know that our business prior to COVID, we relied on Zoom and there was so many wonderful people in our, what we call our paradigm pioneer community that I feel like, you know, and then when we met them for the first time at the fusion 2.0 conference in person, you're like, Oh, you're taller than I thought, or, Oh, whatever. And you know, you give them hugs. You're like, I feel like I, I I know you really well, but it's, it's, Oh, this is the first time we've actually met in person. Really? And then you realize, so it is possible to build solid relationships through the screen. It just, it takes, I don't even know. I don't know if it takes a different level of intentionality because I feel like you have to be fully present in person too. So yes. I don't know, but that's, that's awesome. That's so fantastic. That's yay, yay. yay. Well, so, um, I, and I know that you're game for this. So I always like to have a rapid fire set of questions to just show okay. the, the human side of guests. And you're always very human. And I just, I love that you're normalizing being human for people, because I think the more of us that do that, when we're feeling like you said, like, Oh, I can't screw up or, Oh, I can't, you know, fail, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. And you see other people doing it. You realize, no, like people need a, thank you. I needed that. It's okay. I'm I'm not, I'm not a freak or I'm not strange or, or whatnot. So I just so, so appreciate that. So you already talked about this, but fill in the blank living authentically is having the courage to be who you are 
instead of who you're pretending to be. Absolutely. Love that. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader in that moment, what do you do? Give myself permission to have an off day. (laughs) Right? They say, I don't need to be a leader today, right? (laughs) I'm going to go be my alter ego. See you later. Peace out. Um, When's the last time you were courageous and how did you show up? So wait, I want to go back to the last. I just thought- I will look at my resilience resume and then I'll be reminded I can do it. Okay. Perfect. Third question. Sorry. Okay. I love that. When's the last time you were courageous and how did you show up? So this was this week. I had a meeting with our team. Um, We have been reading a book called it doesn't have to be crazy at work. And it's all about building a calm company. And I realized that our goals are not calm, that, we are, we are striving for a 43% growth rate between this last quarter and this quarter. So I decided to lower our goals, which is not something that they teach you to do in business school. And I think it took courage to do that. And I know that it was the right thing because it's going to help us have a more calm company that, you know, allows work to work with life. I love that. Well, and as Brene Brown always says, calm is contagious. So that's, that's fantastic. Kudos to you for, for, I'm sure that people also breathe the sigh of relief with that as well. Oh yeah. yeah. I did too. (laughs) They're like, whew, cause she was a little crazy. I'm not going to lie. So, uh, what's something people would be surprised to know about you? I have a dream of being a singer. No way. I have a horrible voice (laughs) and I will practice. I mean, I will be by myself. Like if I'm alone, I will play karaoke versions of songs. I will record myself on my phone to hear myself. And then I play it back and I'm like, this is so bad. Oh my God. I have to be one day I, I want to I like win a karaoke contest in front of all my friends and be like, told you, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. I love that so much. And I have to tell you, like, I, in, in that regard, we've got to, You've got to be my sister from another mister because no lie. When I was little, I used to always talk and sing into my thumb. Like I had a pervert. I always had a microphone and I used to try out for solos in the church choir. And I kept getting like, basically told like, stop trying out. Like you don't have a good voice. And I would try out for like advanced choirs and I would try out for musicals and I just kept trying. And it's so funny. Cause I'm like, I really wish I could sing and I will like sing along in the car. And then I'm like, Oh, <laughs> so- that is hilarious. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do karaoke. Do together. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Um, okay. So this next one I like to use also as an icebreaker, but it's been super fun to do on this podcast. So I call it the four C's. So this is if reality was not, didn't matter if money was no object, right? You just sky's the limit. Uh, what car would you have? What country would you visit? What cuisine would you eat? And it doesn't have to be related to the country. And then what celebrity living or dead would you want to eat that cuisine with? Okay. Start with the first one again. Car. Car. <laughs> Uber. So that I don't have to drive. <laughs> next (laughs) next I love that country I would love to go to Palestine because that's where my family's from and I've never been that's cool that's cool what cuisine so my favorites are sushi and barbecue 
<laughs> That's quite the spectrum. Both, and I can eat both all day. <laughs> Barbecue sushi? No. Oh, no. <laughs> and what celebrity living or dead would you want to have that cuisine with? Oh, without a doubt, RBG. Yes. I had a previous <laughs> guest that too. For sure. For sure. Love it. Okay. Your favorite go-to movie? Mm, this is really hard for me. I actually do not have... So I love movies. I, I'll tell you about my most favorite recent movie. It's called My Octopus Teacher. It's a documentary on Netflix. It is fascinating about how this man becomes reconnected to his purpose in life by learning from an octopus. That's fantastic. Oh my God, I'm going to have to check that out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Lessons show up in the strangest ways, don't they? Yes. Your go-to song is... Oh, I mean, of course, Whitney Houston. How will I know? Because that's an easy one for karaoke. How will I know? No, yeah. we like, we're, we're not going to like, oh, no, the listeners are like, please don't. Neither of you. Please don't sing. Okay. Uh, your signature dance move. Oh, I do this like, well, it's hard to explain. I do this like thing where I like roll my hips. It's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good look. We'll just call it the hip roll. It's all good. <laughs> Um, in another life, well, maybe it's the singer, but in another life, your job or career would be tooth. I would, I would have loved to be an attorney, uh, representing people who, um, like high stakes things where they are innocent. And it's, it's like, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, this is the biggest trial and I have to help them and show that they're innocent. Something like that. My dad's an attorney. So maybe that's where it comes from. Yeah, I would have loved to act, be an actress, I guess, singer. Cool. That's cool. What's something you can't live without? My family. I know that's a cliche answer. No, 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 no. <laughs> I know for you, it's totally authentic. So yeah. that's awesome. Something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy. Candles. No matter you have a go-to what I, I have a candle lit. No, love all of them. And I have so many, I'm looking at two next to me right now <laughs> that are lit. <laughs> I love it. I used to have candles all over the place until we had kids and then they all turned into the, oh. the, the fake ones, you know, but <laughs> yeah. I, I have a bunch of those all over now. So, <laughs> and what are you grateful for right now? Grateful for so much right now. Um, I'm grateful for my health and the health of my family. I think, yeah, in this pandemic, if, if we can have that, that's, that, yeah. that's huge, right? Everything. Yeah. Oh, well, this has been, it's been, I know that your time has been precious and you've been oh. setting boundaries. And so I am so, so glad for all you're doing and just everything you keep putting out in the world to help others normalize their screw ups and their humanity. I just think you're an inspiration to so many people. And I enjoy getting your, your blog every week and going, Oh, what does Kristen have to say this time? And so, and I have to share with you that you remember, um, I remember one of your blogs that you were talking about, uh, instead of profit, you call it difference dollars. Mm -hmm. And in my podcast where I interviewed Lynn Swift and Alexander McCoben, I said that and she's like, Ooh, I love that. And she wrote it down. So I have to tell you, you inspired Lynn Swift. So (laughs) well, thank you for inviting me to do this. I I always give a zoom hug. So I know those listening can't, can't see this, but imagine I'm giving we're, you all we're, a hug. We're doing Zoom hugs. Can <laughs> you hug through this? <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank, thank you so much. And thank you for the support you've given to our book and just everything you're doing. And, um, and I'm just, I'm excited to just keep, keep watching you and keep supporting you and, and connecting with you. And 
one day we'll have another Fusion 2.0 conference and we can be back in person. But (laughs) well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Show Up as a Leader. If you haven't yet subscribed, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Rosie Ward, and you can find me online at drrosieward.com, where you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter, check out the books I'm reading, and hear from the people I'm talking to. You can also get more information on what I'm up to professionally, including my coaching and speaking services. You can also find me on LinkedIn at rward, Facebook and Instagram at drrosieward, or email me at rosie at drrosieward.com. And I just want to remind you to remember that you have the choice every day to show up as a leader. So choose courage over comfort, embrace your humanity, and never, ever dull your sparkle. Take care, everyone.